Hi, this is the Manifest More Podcast, and I'm your host, Don Maynard. Hi, I wanted to welcome Dr. Caroline Garcia. She is a Maria of all trades with expertise in positive psychology, mindful leadership, and holistic wellness. She helps ambitious women tap into their inner truth, light, and joy while becoming queens of their lives in the process. I, I, I love how all over your website, you utilize the word queen. Yeah. Kind of touch on that. Like why, what was the inspiration? Where did that come from? Yeah. So it's a few different things. Part of it was a play on how it's used in popular media, right? Like there's queen energy and people becoming queens and being queens. And there's that, that kind of language that is already being used by women to to call that in. Right. Um, But it's more than just that. To me, queen is a different way of leadership that is starting a new model where women are the ones that are emulated in their queendom versus women leading like what we've seen in the last few generations of leading like men because men have been in power. So queen for me is women leading in their power. I love that. So great. All right. I wanted to you to come on to share your story, uh, you know, how it all started from you starting. I mean, I want to start with your childhood. Like, where are you from? Yeah. So I was born in Dominican Republic and um, small island in the Caribbean. And I came to the United States for the first time, I think when I was three. Um, so I've been traveling since since then. Um, and my American journey started in New York City. So I lived in New York, New Jersey for some time. And then as a preteen, moved to Florida, finished um, high school, college there, graduate school. And then my first job was in California. And then I've been in Texas for the last eight years. So I've, I've made my fair rounds around the country from end to end. Yeah. Why was there so much moving around? Uh, the short answer is immigrant life. When we came to the States, um, New York City is a big mecca of Dominicans. It's it's a melting pot of a lot of different immigrants anyway. Um, and we already had some family that was already there. And so it was just like a, a rite of passage, like people were already there. We started. And then my mom realized that life in New York was really hard. You You always worked to live and that was it. And so she married my stepdad and we moved to Florida. And so that was that move. And then when I finished graduate school, I wanted to go as far away from everything that I knew as possible. Um, I think to like, I was running away from something certainly, but there was something about going to a place where no one knows you and getting the chance to recreate who you are that California gave me. Um, and then my last move to Texas, I changed jobs and it, it brought me here. So, and I've stayed here since then because I really like it. So. Yeah, I love it too. Where are you? Tell me about your schooling. So did you do school in Florida? Yeah. So I did schooling in both countries over my entire educational career. I went to 10 different schools between kindergarten and eighth grade, um, always switching a language. And so every other year from the age of five to 10, I was learning and forgetting a language Mm. and switch. Um, so I have, I think I have four or five years of education that I completed in Dominican Republic and the rest of my education has been here in the States. 
Okay. Well, so college though, did you do college in Florida or California? Oh yeah. So college and graduate school was in, in Orlando, Florida. Did you, you liked that job or how did I never you... liked my job? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was always so hard because I literally studied a field that helps people uh, be in synergy with their environment and their work. And I, I never had that. Um, so that was part of my my journey is um, I was looking around and at people climbing and getting promotions and stuff. And I'm like, how are they climbing into these positions? Do everyone must love their job. And I'm the only one that doesn't because I don't want to climb into anything. I don't want to do more than the minimum expectation because I don't like what I'm doing. So why am I going to strive to have more responsibility doing something that I don't enjoy? And it was something that at the time people didn't really talk about. So I thought that there was something wrong with me for not just, you know, being grateful that I had a job, that it was high paying, that it was high status. I worked for a prestigious organization and I fell into the pot of, I should be happy that I have this, but I wasn't. And so it was causing a lot of like uh, distress within my body because I was, I was feeling something, ignoring that and willing myself to feel something else. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same experience. Yeah. You went to school for psychology. Mm -hmm. What did you think taking, like, you know, you chose that major and then what did you think when you got out of school, you were going to do with that? And was it different once you got out into the real world with that degree? Right. Right. Okay. So, um, when I was going through my PhD program, my only goal was to finish. Like, I wasn't thinking like, where is this going to take me to next? I was just like, okay, I'm in this program. I have a fellowship that will only cover me for five years. So my need to finish my PhD in the five years so that I'm not paying out of pocket for school. Um, I knew I wanted to work in corporate and not do research because I didn't enjoy research, but I knew more about what I didn't want than what I did want. And so when I got that first job, it sounded sexy working for the uh, the government, having a top secret clearance, like, Ooh, I have a top secret clearance. And I thought maybe one day I would, I could work for the FBI or CIA doing, using my skills. There wasn't any passion behind it. I just thought I have these skills that I've learned. Now I just need to find the highest paying, most prestigious position to apply those skills. But there was no connection to what I had learned and the the impact that I wanted to make. It was just like, okay, now I'm going to go off into the world and see where this takes me. Yeah. I feel like that's the college route. It's so, it doesn't prepare you for really, yeah. it doesn't even, it, I'm just now using my major, major's communications. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, I started a podcast. I'm actually. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay. So then you got your job in Dallas. And at what point were you like, all right, yeah, this is it. I am not doing this anymore. I'm making a big transformation in life and changing. Um, so yeah, share what happened from there. So, um, about three years into my job, I, I've been feeling kind of meh is the best way to describe it. That's see the technical term. I'm feeling meh, right? Yeah. And, but I thought like that's, that is what corporate America was. That is what being a job is. People say all, all the time, like if it were fun, you wouldn't get paid for it, right? It's called a job for a reason. It's called work for a reason. So I had internalized all these narratives that work was supposed to suck. Like you could make it as comfortable as possible, but it's supposed to be not great. 
And, um, but I didn't understand how people became workaholics. Cause I'm like, how do you do something over everything else that sucks? Like, I don't understand that. And my weakness was always, I couldn't push through and do a lot of something that I didn't enjoy. So I couldn't, like, I never worked late. I never worked overtime. I didn't like take on additional tasks because I didn't enjoy it. And I'm like, why, why would I do more of this thing that I don't like and push through it? And so the turning point for me was a car accident. I um, kind of like a really random set of, of circumstances, but one of my best friends was getting married in Kansas and I had waited too long to book light because I wasn't sure who my plus one was going to be. And so I ended up just deciding to drive. When I went with my partner at the time on the way back, um, I have a sports car and I hadn't changed my tires in however long. So on the way back to Dallas, which is like a, I don't know, seven hour drive or so, um, I was caught in a rainstorm, which I'm used to. I'm from Florida, like very normal for me. Um, but I was driving like 55 miles an hour and I hydroplaned off the highway and drew and drove off a cliff. So I was about to cross an overpass. I spun out like 460 degrees, drove off the side of the road and then down the, down the, like the, not the mountain, but like the hill, the overpass and landed at the bottom on the country road below. And the way that that hill was that I drove off of was such that it was not steep enough that it flipped my sports car but it was steep enough that it kept me stuck at the bottom instead of driving into the, the road that was at the bottom. So it was almost like a perfect accident. Hmm. I literally drove away from that accident and, and my partner at the time, he didn't know how to drive stick shift. So I had to drive and I had to drive an additional five hours because I was still in, in Missouri at the time. And so what was craziest about that experience is as the car was spinning out, it felt like everything slowed down, like time just sort of expanded. And I let go of everything, was just holding on to the steering wheel and looking at my partner. And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going 55 miles an hour and I have no control over my car. And so I never, I had kind of a weird relationship with spirituality um, because I, I grew up being Catholic and that no longer serves me, but I never found anything that really replaced it. So I didn't pray. I didn't believe in a higher power. I didn't believe I was connected to anything bigger than me. But at that moment, I heard something that said, your purpose hasn't been completed yet. It's not your time. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I guess it chills. Oh my God. Right. Where did that come from? And it actually catapulted me into a depression for a few months after that, because one, I had another near death experience almost a month after, um, in Europe, I was traveling with my family. We were in Paris. We were getting off the train in Paris and the trains in Paris at that time, if there's something stuck in between the doors, they do not open. And so when I stepped off the train, I was the last one on, I was, and I was, I was kind of escorting my family around Europe. They'd never been to a country that where they didn't speak the language. They'd never been to Europe. And I had already traveled a lot by that point. So I was like leading them into this new experience. And so I was always making sure that people were taken care of and I was, you know, shepherding them in a sense. And so after I've made sure everyone got off the train, 
the way that it happened, the doors closed on me and half of my body, like in the middle, half of my body was inside of the train and the other half was out and the doors didn't open. Oh my God. <laughs> and so the people on the train and my family were both trying to pry the doors open. And I literally escaped right before the train took off. Oh my gosh. And so when I came back um, to the States after those experiences within one month, I'm like, is, is the universe trying to kill me? Because <laughs> what it is, you know? <laughs> but what it did was it made me think about what is this purpose thing? And what do you mean it hasn't been completed? Like, where do I find that? And um, it was shortly after that, actually, that I enrolled in my YTT, um, not to teach, but I wanted to learn more about something else. And I'd always, when people were like, oh, are you going to teach? Are you going to sign up for whatever? And I'm like, this is a spiritual experience for me. I've been taking classes, but I want to understand more about the behind the scenes of yoga. Um, I'd already had an affinity towards Buddhism in college. And so it felt like just a nice synergy to study the physical component of the spiritual practice. Um, but it was that, at that, that was the turning point after which I was like, I have to leave this organization. And, um, when I got back from Europe, actually, I had interviewed at the, uh, the next company where I ended up working at and interviewed with them for three months. And then the next like five months later, the next February, I quit my job at IBM. And then I was, I didn't have a job for a month because I like I already had my starting date. And then I started my new job and I took that month to travel. Um, and I went to Australia and New Zealand in that time. So that accident awakened me to like, life is very finite. What are you doing with it? And what are you doing to live it today? Not whenever, you know, the future comes, but in this moment. Um, so that was the most transformational, traumatic, <laughs> like life-changing experience that really got me to figure out what is this purpose thing? Wow. We have so much in common. I'll have to talk more <laughs> about it off the show, but um, yeah. yeah, I was Catholic and a lot, a lot of similarities here. And like, yeah. so like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. So cool. Tell us how you transitioned into, from corporate into coaching. So I had been at my job for three years when I got the next itch. And the next itch was a recruiter had reached out to me um, about a position at a, another Fortune 500 company. And I wasn't looking, but I was like, well, I've, it's good to keep my interview skills sharp, right? So let me see what's out there. And I had gone through the entire process and finalized. So I had gone through seven or eight interviews at this organization. And then they ghosted me for a couple of weeks. And when they came back, they came back and told me that they were actually canceling the position because by some fluke, the budget that they thought they had for the position didn't exist. And when the new fiscal year started, they didn't have budget to support that position for the following year. And so they ended up canceling the position. They were like, we were going to make you an offer. Like you were such a strong candidate, liked you, blah, blah, blah. But we can't make you. We literally don't have the money to make you this offer. And that's the second time that that's actually happened to me. I've had so many different kinds of experiences in interviewing because I've interviewed so much. And so it was, you know, it was one of those things where like you're comfortable where you are and something comes at you and it wasn't what you were thinking, but you try it and then you don't get it. And now you're like, oh, wait a minute, I want that. And so I'm like, I have to leave because I don't think that I'm supposed to be here anymore. I've outgrown it. 
And so that started this massive job search where I spent all of 2021 from January to December interviewing. And I like to track things. So that's why I have the numbers of things. I interviewed at um, 24 organizations, 64 conversations. I made it to the final round seven times and got zero job offers. And so <laughs> as you might imagine, because I work in psychology, the questions that I get asked aren't tell me how you code or tell me how you would fix this problem. It's things like, tell me of a time when you've been in a, a difficult situation and how have you gone out of it? Tell me of a time that you've worked with a difficult leader. How did you manage that? What is your vision for your life? What did you learn about, you know, from the jobs that you've had? What did you learn when you were unemployed? What takeaways did you have? And it was questions that I hadn't thought about. But when you are in an interview and someone asks you a question, much the same way that, you know, we're in this conversation, you only have like five seconds to come up with something, you know? And so I was hearing myself answering things that I had never thought about, mm -hmm. about what my life had meant, what my jobs had meant, what did I love about my jobs? And I was finding, I was having a hard time articulating what I loved about the projects that I did. And I was like, again, going back to like, dang, I must not be passionate about anything because how would I have been working for 10 years and I don't like anything that I've done. That's crazy. And so it was, so it was, that was kind of the umbrella of the experiences that I was having. But the next kind of job um, interview that I had was related to coaching, but I was going to be a consultant for a coaching company and basically talking to leaders about the impact of the coaching that they had purchased from this company on their bottom line and their culture and all of that stuff. Um, and so I loved their mission. It was like making coaching accessible to people. And it, it, awake, it reawakened this idea that I had had when I was 22, that I wanted to be an executive coach. And people laughed at me because I was 22 and had a very baby face. And we're like, you have to get some gray hairs on you before you do that. Like, what do you know to coach someone? And I had also heard you have to be in the position in order to coach people in the position. So in order to be an executive coach, I needed to become an executive. And so I'm like, okay, what is the fastest route to climbing to the top? And that for me was leaving, getting, you know, using my experiences and using it in another organization. But when I didn't get those positions again and again, and it wasn't because of my skill set or education or ability to interview, it was literally down to like, this person had six more months of experience than you did. So we're going to go with them. Um, and I was also pretty provocative in my interviews because I was asking organizations like, what are you doing to support people during COVID? What kinds of changes are you making to your environment as a result of all of the protests that have been going on about equity? How are you making sure that people feel included in your organization? And a lot of times people stumbled and they were like, uh, you know, um, and so it was through that journey that I realized one, the power of questioning because I was getting questioned so much in those interviews, but I realized that the jobs that I had the greatest affinity to were coaching positions, but I didn't want to just coach whomever people told me to coach. I wanted to have flexibility and freedom and who I coached. So that was when that idea started surfacing for me, that coaching could be a possibility for me.
transition point then came at the end of that year when I didn't get anything. I was like, I need a break. I'm completely burnt out, exhausted, you know, managing, staying at my job, interviewing and prepping for those interviews. And I was also reading a lot because I felt so out of control in my life that I thought the only thing that I can control is how much, how much I read. And so I had seen an acquaintance that had read like 120 books a year prior. And I was like, that is insane. Who reads that much? Right. And she was a mom with two young kids and a wife. And so, but it, it planted that seed, like, well, if she can do it and she's got all that going on, certainly I could too. So as I was interviewing, I was also reading, I read 135 books that year and they covered the gamut from biology to spirituality, to physics and everything in between about why are we here? What is purpose? What is passion? How do you learn? How do you transform? Reading people's memoirs about what they've been through, reading books about immigrants and what they've been through and seeing myself in these people's stories and being like, oh, oh, I, I, my existence is valid, you know? Um, and so at the end of that year, with all of that knowledge, all of those experiences, I took a sabbatical. I took three months off of work and I said, you know, I made it through somebody else's curriculum in my PhD program. I have created curriculum for classes that I've taught when I was in graduate school. I have created workshops at work for clients to meet the objectives that they desire. If I have all those skills to do that for others, I can do that for myself. So my objective for my sabbatical is I wanted to know who I was, what was my purpose, what are my core values, and why am I here on earth? And it was a very kind of haphazard way that I did it, but I researched myself using my research skills and said, okay, well, if you want to figure out what your purpose is, how do you do that? And, and did that. If you want to figure out your values, how do you do that? And so when I finished sabbatical, I knew that I wanted to coach and I wanted to write. I had always wanted to coach and write, but I had um, stifled those dreams because they felt like dreams for people that were luckier than me. Mm. People that were writers, like, who am I? I don't have a, I don't have training in writing. I just write, you know? So is anyone going to want to read a book by someone that doesn't have a master's in, in writing? Um, and then as a coach, like, who am I? I'm only in my thirties. Like, I don't have enough experience. And then I decided, well, these people wrote these books and some of them are younger than me and people are coaches that are younger than me and don't have my education. So, and I do have gray hairs now. So <laughs> I've thoroughly built up the, the experience to be able to coach people through what I've been through, right? Um, and so shortly after that, I signed up for my coaching program. That was eight months. And it was through experiencing coaching for the first time that I was like, oh my goodness, like reading books is a very deep experience because you're going into somebody else's mind, but coaching is so powerful because you're going deep into yourself with somebody else that's guiding you through what they've been through and helping you find a path between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. I love that. Beautiful. All right. So now you have started coaching. Mm-hmm. With the people you have coached, a really good story of someone's transition that you've coached. Yeah. So 
I've coached quite a bit of people because through my work, I was doing a lot of leadership coaching. So in leadership coaching, what I was doing was um, there was this tool called a 360 degree feedback. And it's when you're getting feedback from your supervisor, your colleagues, your subordinates, and yourself on leadership competencies so that you can see your blind spots and your strengths. And so I'd been used to having these one-off conversations with people about, you know, helping them understand their report and how they could apply it towards their vision. As I was going through my coaching program, I tweaked what I was doing. And instead of just highlighting the report for them, I asked them, well, what do you want? Personally and professionally, what do you want? And then how do you help the strengths that you have in this report to get there and to close whatever gaps you you need to get to where you want to go? So it started becoming more of like, let's anchor you to a vision and then using the information that you have to get you there. But then in some of, so that's kind of how my coaching really started was just doing those one-offs. And I've done like 200 of those conversations over the last several years. Um, but my clients, the ones that I have taken through like a transformation, like, you know, five or six sessions where they start often is unsure about who they are and what is it that they really want? Like that juicy, juicy dream that when, like when people tell you what they want and it is something that they want, their energy like opens they're excited about it. They're inspired by it. They're moved by it. And so, and that's different from when people tell you what they think they should do, right? So before I was operating from the state of, this is what I think I should do. I should get a six-figure job at a big position at a big company so that I can say I've succeeded and all of the work that my parents, my ancestors did to get us to America, it was worthy because I've succeeded in the American way, right? That wasn't working for me though. And so there was also that sense of guilt, like I am not fulfilling what I was, what I was brought here to do, right? And so, um, and a lot of the women, so I, I specialize in ambitious professional women, oftentimes they are in their early mid-career, so not right into the beginning of their careers, but they have been in their careers a few years to understand kind of who they are in work and what they like and what they don't like. And oftentimes those women are on the path that I was on of like kind of going along, not really sure like what their anchor is, what, are the, what is their North Star and feeling stuck, feeling like there isn't a lot of fun in their lives. There's oftentimes when I ask women, how much joy do you have in your life? And they're like, what? I don't even know how to answer that question. I don't, mm -hmm. I've never thought about that. Like, what do you mean? What is joy? And so I started seeing that of people being taken aback by the idea that they should have joy regularly, not just on vacation, not just when you get a big bonus, but what is joy to you daily? What does that look like? And what I specialize in is helping women get to that, like get to your passion, let's get to your dreams and let's get you to what you were created to do. Because, you know, going through my own journey of finding out my purpose, that was what I finally figured out is I was created on purpose. Everyone is created on purpose and your mission in life is to find that and then live in it. Um, and so I would say if I had to summarize in three ways, like what I take people through, there's three parts of it. 
There's self-adoration, which is the, ho the holistic wellness perspective and is an elevated self-care practice of you taking care of yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially. There's seven different tiers associated with it. So that is the foundation of your mission is taking deep care of yourself so that you can give deeply to the world. The second part of it is a mindset shift, is shifting to a place of abundance and growth so that you can realize that everything that you desire is within the realm of possibility for you. And then you can grow yourself to activate that and bring that into your life. And then lastly, it's leadership. It is you realizing that you need to have a vision, a strategy, and then taking action towards this, whatever life you want to create. Because when you think about a leader, what do they do? They have an idea. They take, they, they, they form a road to get to that idea. And then they start taking action towards that by using themselves, teams, supportive people, their leaders, like they use their resources. They are resourceful. And it's from that place that Queen Mindset Leadership was born, which is the the, the the tripod of all of that. It's spiritual, it's leadership, it's mindset. And it's a way for women to step into their power to lead their lives as queens. They can take advantage of all of the juicy, great stuff that we women have, our intuition, our emotions, our connection to nature, because we are nature. We were created to create life. And there is something where whether you decide to or not, there's something very magical about existing in this body that was created to bring more life into this world. And I think when women realize that power, then anything is possible for you because you literally are a creator, you know? So if you can create life, you can create anything. Yes. I heard um, an interview the other day, I forget her name, something Swan, this girl that I follow, and she was talking about how, you know, our world has gone from all the women trying to be like the men. Yes. And, and I went through that, like I was in corporate and it's like, oh, we, we can have a baby and we can still climb the corporate ladder. Right. No, I could not in the right. same manner. And it was so hard. Um, and, and it, that's when I finally got out of that world of like, we are not built to do the same things. We're not meant to do the same things. Yeah. And it's okay to have this, like these roles that we are here to play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I find that, you know, why I specialize in ambitious women, you know, as, as you know, niching is such a journey. There's so much to think about in terms of who your ideal client is. And your ideal client is often you a couple of versions of you ago, but you got to figure out who you, a couple of versions ago was and then you got to figure out who you are today and where where was that transformation and so for me why I specialize with uh, ambitious professional women is because on the outside we have it all right we're getting the titles the accolades the success we're making the money the decision making power you know and what I find in these intimate interactions that I have with these powerful women that look like powerful women on the outside is that they're often riddled by the same thing. They're burnt out. They don't have time for play and joy and these more feminine, childish things that are so gratifying. Like if you look at a child that is blowing bubbles and popping them, the joy that that child has playing with bubbles that is literally just air and soap is extraordinary. 
they are so grateful for that little thing. And we walk by nature and we walk by all of the magic that exists in this world. And we take it for granted. The sun rising, the moon being in the sky, the trees growing, like all that stuff is magic because there's no one that's like, okay, son, it's time for you to rise. You know, it just, it is, it does. It's a cycle. And so when I started having these repeated conversations with these leaders and women and my friends, and I've traveled a lot, you know, around the world as well. So I've talked to a lot of people and that's what I, that's what I always see missing is it's purpose and joy. And when you don't have that, when you wake up in the morning, it feels like you're just getting through another day instead of living through another day or living a new day. You know, you're getting through it. You're, you're trying to expedite your way to death instead of being grateful that you woke up today. Just living on the autopilot. Yeah. It reminded me of one of my first times of this aha I had with nature. Um, so after I left, I um, quit the corporate world and was going through all my stuff. My son was four at the time in the daycare I brought him to. I was dropping him off. And mm -hmm. when I parked, there was this big row of rose bushes. And I was like, oh my God, look at those roses. They're so beautiful. Yeah. And I, stopped and I was like, how have I never noticed those before? Yeah. Coming here for four years. Wow. Because I was just in this, the the race, you know, yeah. in yeah. school, fighting over who's picking up and dropping off and right. all those things. And when I finally just stopped, started appreciating the things around me, yeah. um, it's such a beautiful awakening. And now like roses are just so special to me because of that. Yeah. Moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you I love that mentioned you know finding your purpose and you've used that word a lot so what books have you read that kind of helped did you because you also mentioned reading a lot of books right were there books that you read that helped you find your purpose as well that you utilized yeah oh my gosh um so I've probably read like what am I at like 255 now in the last four years which is uh, I you're making I, me want to go count mine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the only reason that I know so specifically is because I use this app called Goodreads that is like a virtual like bookshelf or whatever. And so when I was doing my 135, I I had to be very consistent about my reading in order to keep up. So I was like, okay, this is how much time I have left in the year. This is how many books I have left. I need to divide them out and then figure it out how many books do I need to read a, a week to get that. And then how much time do I, how many pages do I need to read a day to get to that goal? And so it was crazy, like now looking at it, but I would basically start my week. Monday was like reset starting at zero. And between Monday and Wednesday, I needed to have one book read between Wednesday and Friday or Saturday, maybe the next book. And then Sunday I would start, you know, get pretty ahead on the following book so that I could then finish it maybe Monday and then Tuesday start the next one. So it was like I would finish one and immediately open the next book. Um, so it's hard to it, it all kind of runs in together. And, and a lot of times I make references about, about books and I have no idea where it came from because they're all sort of one. <laughs> yes, I say everyone saying the same thing, just wording it differently after you really right. start reading them all. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a few authors that I read that were really transformational. There's Eckhart Tolle, um, reading the power of now was the first time that I realized that presence was something I was supposed to be in. 
Um, despite all the yoga that I had taken and how much mindfulness there is in a yoga class, I always zoned out in yoga. Like Shavasana for me was time to think about what I did, like somebody that I was mad at and what I was doing after class. Um, and I thought that was normal. Like you're always supposed to be in your head. I didn't know what embodiment meant. I like literally was blown away when I heard that you're supposed to be in your body. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> this thing? Um, and so Eckhart Tolle was one power of now. Um, there's also Untethered Soul um, by Michael Singer that I have read four times. And that was incredibly impactful because it taught me that I wasn't my life. And what I mean by that is the accolades, the accomplishments, the body that I'm in, my gender, the people that I've dated, my friendships, my living circumstances, all of those things were things that I had experienced, but they weren't me. And it, what it did was it gave me the power to realize that I could pivot without losing myself, quote unquote, because myself was the spirit. And I could literally change my entire life and still be me even though my life was completely different. And so when I was thinking about coaching, I was like, oh, like that's a new career. You know, is my PhD going to be helpful in that? I don't know. I don't want to start over. And I remember I had a conversation with one of my colleagues and she was like, your data analysis and research and ability to look at big picture and strategic thinking is going to be so helpful for you as a coach, in addition to your study of human behavior. And that's when I started seeing that everything that I had been through was preparing me for what I was going to go through. And that was like such a profound shift of seeing my life as if it had happened on purpose. Because then I started taking a step back and I said, okay, let me look at the, the biggest things. Like when I was doing my values work, one of the exercises that I did was listing out the major things that I had gone through, positive and negative, and what they taught me. And seeing like the themes to figure out what my values were based off of what I'd you know gone through. And so when I started listing all the things that I've been through, good and bad, I was like, oh my God, I have not owned my power because I have been through a lot, a lot that I had to survive and figure out how to thrive. And so when you go through and you list the hardest things you've been through and figure out well, what did I learn from that? Because sometimes the thing you learn from that is I can survive that. And if you can survive the worst of what you've been through, then whenever you get something else, you're like, that's cake, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I've been through so much, like that's so easy. Um, and so that was, I would say, where purpose was infused into my life of not just living in purpose moving forward, but realizing that my life had happened on purpose to prepare me for, the, for my mission. And then once I realized my mission, you could look back at, everything from the moment you were born to before you were born and say, that's why I was born in that family to those parents, went to that school, met that person, left that job, got in that accident and had that moment and read that book to have this realization to be here today. Like everything is a an intricate chain that if, if one of those links is broken, your life would be completely different. Um, and so the last, the last author, and I have like literally dozens of books that I can send you offline. Um, but the last one that comes to mind is one by a uh, Vietnamese monk who I think died last year. Thich uh, Nhat. What is his Gone. last part? Yes. Yes. 
Um, and I've read probably 15 of his books about death and peace and mindfulness and love, communication and trust. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know anything <laughs> about how to like actually people, like when I learned that when you're communicating with someone, you're supposed to take their perspective and see it as valid. I was blown away because <laughs> I thought there was one truth and it was mine and it was my job to convince you of how I was right, you know? And so um, those, those authors were so transformational, not just in the knowledge they imparted, but it also allowed me to see, you know, if I don't write my book, my blog, my posts, I am keeping people from being impacted in the way that if those authors had not written these books, I wouldn't have been impacted. And so it also like inspired the writer in me and to see like, I've been writing my whole life. Since I started being able to write, I've been writing and journaling and having diaries. Um, I literally, I am in words for fun. I can talk a lot. I can listen. I can write. I can read. Um, I have such huge capacity for words that many people, that's not their gift. Um, so reading also helped me to see different possibilities, which is the mindset expansion that then allowed me to step into leadership. And in combination with the spiritual, then it was like, I am growing in purpose. And all of this is for a cause that's bigger than mine. And I think when you're operating in a sense and don't have that connected to what your impact is on the world, it's so much more of a burden than when you realize that you're pushing through your fears because of the impact that you're making on earth, your legacy. And that is spiritual. And I also think that many people misunderstand spiritual because they think it's religion mm -hmm. and it's not. So I, I, I kind of play with spiritual and use different words like, you know, knowing who you are or connection to something higher or, you know, self-love, um, because at its core, self-love is spiritual. You're loving like the core of your being and your being exists like outside of the physical things that we create, which means that your spirit, if you take it back to physics, energy cannot be created or destroyed. Your spirit is infinite. And when you have that understanding of how you fit into the endless ocean of life and consciousness, then you realize like, it's a really joyful time for you to be a human because you're only here for a second before you continue into whatever your next path is. So inspiring. <laughs> wow. Yes. On point. Uh, you, know, you were talking about how having those moments of like your day and you wouldn't be where you are if you wouldn't have went to the school in this moment, in this moment, in that book, Untethered, he also talks about being sensitive to other people's perceptions because we're mm -hmm. all having a completely different moment by moment. And that's why we're all so different and being open to what that person's opinion or perception is because it right. it is different from yours because the phone call they just got off of was completely different than the phone call you just got over, like whatever they're looking at. And then the way they're processing it because of based on their past experiences, they could right. still be stuck in their past and everything is triggering, or they may be an awakened person that has let go of those things and right. approaching every single person where they are. Right. Right. Because that's what it is. Yeah. That book is amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I always, when people are like, well, tell me one book that I, that you recommend. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so hard. I'm like untethered soul, read it, read it again. If it triggers you, read it again. If you don't like it, read it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, Eckhart Tolle one, that was thinking where Rachel's my first one that I, my, that I read. It's like self-development one. And then um, the awakening by Eckhart Tolle was my second one. Mm-hmm. I, and I'll never forget having my first awakening. I looked at my friend. I was like, I think this is really weird. I'm reading this book. And he said, you're going to know when you have your awakening. And I just had mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's pretty gnarly experience because you, it feels like so new agey, right? Oh, awakening enlightened or whatever. Um, but what it really is, is, is consciousness expansion. Anytime that you expand your awareness about something, whether that's taking somebody else's perspective, learning something, uh, looking at something from a different perspective, deciding to try a new habit, you're expanding your consciousness because you're expanding your realm of what's possible for you in that moment. Um, And when you look at when I was studying physics and I was like learning about how the universe was created and, and has expanded and stuff. And it's it's also so intense because we cannot actually fathom the size of the space with which we reside in like earth to us is so big but earth is a joke in size compared to where we like the rest of even our solar system like you look at jupiter that is like (laughs) so much bigger than earth and um and that's just one solar system within billions of them um so when i when you start thinking about how the universe expands and you start realizing that you are consciousness and consciousness is everything. It's always, it's um, forever. You realize that when you expand yourself, you are living in purpose because you're contributing to the expansion of the universe. And when I made that connection, I was like, oh my gosh, like that is your purpose is evolution, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but we weren't created to be the same, that, that literally goes against nature to stay the same, that there is no such thing as staying the same, even at an atomic level, everything is changing every single, every passage of time, everything changes. Um, and so when you, when you, when you accept that and you receive that and you step into that power, that everything changes, the fear of changing your life to be what it wants starts falling away because you realize it's going to change anyway. But how much do you actually want to be part of the change versus receiving the pivots that other people's lives have on you? And so that's where the stepping into leadership of your own life comes in, realizing you have power to co-create your reality. So what ideas do you want? And then what ideas do you want for you? And then start doing that today. Because tomorrow is today a day removed, you know? (laughs) Um, so it, it's, it's all kind of really cool how it all morphs for me to spirituality and physics and um, subatomic studies and biology and like psychology, trauma, history of humanity. Like I was able to zoom out of life and be able to see how powerful it is to be able to have a thought and take action from it and make it a reality. Like that's so cool. Right. Yeah. Everything started with a thought. Everything starts yeah. with a thought. Yeah. A girl I was uh, coaching last week, she was like saying, I just, I don't know what my purpose is. And, you know, like, well, your purpose is right now. Like you're living on purpose. You are here to feel joy and to feel happy. And you're a mom and being the best mom you can be. And, 
and this work that you're doing, so we've worked together now, which is we're like probably six sessions in and it's, you are choosing to awaken your consciousness and learning all these new techniques to create and widen and expand. And then you get to go and like share this with your family and they're seeing how you have expanded now. Mm -hmm. And it's so awesome to see people like come into that for the first time, you know, and very powerful. Yeah. What mental tip would you want to share that's helped you the most? Mental tip that I would share. Um, you have to make space for yourself every single day. And I've coached a lot of moms too. Um, that is something that I see women especially struggle with. That is something that moms especially struggle with because we are taught as women that our value is in serving others. And so the more you give yourself, the more, and it's it's kind of religious too, right? Like you're supposed say, to be Especially Catholics. Like, right, <laughs> right. You're supposed to give all of yourself. Like that is your purpose. Um, but it isn't because you were created on purpose. So yes, serve others and give to others and give to yourself. The same way that, you know, when they do those uh, airplane, um, showings or whatever. And they're like, make sure you put your own mask, you know, first before you put it on somebody else, you have to make space for yourself every day, even if that's three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, but making time for yourself to do something that you want because you want to, whether that's taking a walk or sitting in silence, being outside is a great healing, um, technique, but making time on your schedule and literally like putting it on your calendar that it pops up and says, this is dawn time. Nobody else touches this. Nobody else is going to schedule over this because what you start telling the universe when you start making time for yourself is that you're valuable because you're putting time for yourself. So when someone is trying to cross over your boundaries or trying to, you know, take from you what you do not have to give, you can say, you're not going to treat me like that. Because then that's where the queen comes in. I'm a queen. And as a queen, you need to ask permission to have my time because I'm a very important person. So when you start treating yourself like you're a VIP, you start living your life like you're a VIP. You just made me want to put my queen crown on. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to have a time. Just have <laughs> yeah. anyone sitting right here by my desk and just that reminder, come on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and that's why I called it queen versus just having like a typical leadership thing, because it is such an accessible thing that we have access to, right. To, to queen. It's like, we just had one that passed away. So it's, it's very present in our minds, this, this thing of being a queen. Um, but I think there's a difference in between saying that you're a queen and being a queen. And what the difference is, is the mindset shifts, the behavior changes and the way you treat yourself that take you from saying that you're a queen to treating yourself like you're a queen so that the world then receives you as a queen. And that's when you start getting the abundance, the opportunities, the connections, the things working out for you, because that is the norm. You're not expecting things to not work out. You're expecting things to go your way because queens do. Why not? You if I can have it easy. At all girls school. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I would. I, 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 and that's part of my, my message is speaking to young women too, because 
this is something that's taken me 30 something years to, to embody. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of us that walk around comparing ourselves to other girls, other women thinking that we're not enough in some way. What does that mean? You're not enough. You were created. Mm -hmm. You were enough from the moment that you took your first breath. Mm -hmm. Yes. Question on this came up when you were sharing, um, uh, what was, you said something about maybe making time for yourself or, or giving, oh, giving all of our time to others. What made me think about this question? I always just curious about, is it a Catholic thing? Like knowing how to receive because oh yes. um, <laughs> I had a hard time when Brooklyn died. Everybody was just trying to like give, give, give. And it got too much. I was like, I can't, because I can't give back. Like I don't have it. In, like I'm, I just, I don't want all that because I don't have it in me to give back. And I was carrying so much guilt over it. And mm -hmm. the more and more that kept coming, I find, I mean, I, I physically could not. Right. And so I had to receive. And once I let go of that feeling that I have to give back as people give to me, it was so powerful because then I was truly able to receive what they gave me. And I think mm -hmm. that's more important than trying to give back when someone yeah. gives you something they really want to give you. Yeah. Was that something that you struggled with? Yeah. So and I love that you're, you're bringing this up because receiving is feminine. You think about like the actual act of sex between a heterosexual couple, we receive right? Like that's how life was, was meant to like go in a very yeah. kind of uh, automated way is we receive, we receive the man and we receive the seed and then we create. Yes. So the other part of queen besides being spiritual, and I also believe that being spiritual is feminine because femininity and spirituality to me mean creation. And that is what our bodies were created to do. So the feminine part of the queen is there are all of these things that some of them are being our superpowers. Some of them things that we have been like burned at for even, you know, receiving is a feminine energy. And I don't mean gender. I mean, energy, which is also very confused with all of the, all of the shifts that have happened and how people identify. We all have masculine and feminine energy, regardless of the body that you're in and the people that you're attracted to. And so feminine is, is not just receiving it's intuition it's emotions, it's compassion, it's communication. It is the building of connections, not only with others, but with yourself. And when you start making time for yourself and tapping into your inner nature by being in nature, you start tapping into, I like to call it like your internal GPS. It's your, your guidance system that is specifically for you and where you're trying to go that we often turn off. And that's why you have a bunch of people that are emotionally constipated is what I like to call it. <laughs> they have no sense of who they actually are and what they want because they turned off their GPS. They're just driving in the same four lane highway that everybody else is driving in the same car, going to the same exit in the same places. And they're like, why do I hate my life? Well, cause you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing and you're not like everybody else. Maybe you want to stop off at a park and go and have a picnic. Maybe you want to be on a bicycle instead of a car. Maybe you don't want to drive today because you're tired. But when you turn off your emotions to pain, you turn off all of it. You turn off joy. 
you turn off fulfillment, you turn off gratitude. And so the feminine is also the turning back on of the system, realizing that as much as we have been told that our emotions were laughable and unprofessional, like how many times have we heard, like, you can't cry at work. If you just fired me and I'm sad, I deserve to cry. What do you mean? <laughs> it's the perfect reason to cry. Um, and so I think it's so powerful when women specifically, because we have been targeted for these things that were natural to us, that we used to have freedom to express them. When you tap into your emotions and your intuition and your receiving, you open up a different portal because you no longer have to exist by yourself. And the queen part where that continues to come in is a queen has a court. She has helpers. She has professionals. She has advisors. She doesn't do this queendom thing by herself. She can't. So when you step into your big mission, not just like, okay, I just want to make okay money and live a fine life or whatever, your big mission where you're impacting hundreds, thousands, millions of people by being whatever it is that you're doing, by creating what you're doing, you're going to need support. You're going to need people that vouch for you, listen to you, connect you to other people, do things for you. And I think it's so hard because we, when you were talking about your experience um, being pregnant, climbing the corporate ladder, we're told that we have to have it all at the same time. And it's like, why can't we have it all over time? If you just had a baby, be with your baby. That That is the job right now, do mm. that. And then when it's time for the baby to go to their next chapter, then you go to your next chapter, whenever you're ready, you know? But, you know, we live in a society where women don't have the space to be women. Like we don't even have, we can't even talk about our periods, <laughs> about it being cringy. Mm -hmm. And it's something that happens to most of us every single month. And we don't talk about it. Like if, and I always think about this, like if men had a cycle, we would be hearing about it. Like, oh man, I just got my cycle today. Like <laughs> I'm down for the count. But we literally go through hormonal and physical changes every single month, all month, I might add, and still push through the rest of life as if like your uterus isn't getting punched, you know, like for two days. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So, yeah. So there, there is so much power in taking that because there's also like your creativity, your, your, your emotions is a fuel for your creativity. It's when you're impassioned that you create, whether that's a negative or a positive thing. So when you shut that system off, creativity is down for the count as well. Yes, totally. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> That's good stuff here. Great question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, also I thought this when we decided to do this podcast in May, I was like, what perfect timing because Mother Mary is the month of May and we're talking about being a queen and the queen of the month. I mm. and not even knowing that you were Catholic. So yeah, I don't know if this is so perfect for that to me yeah and, and my birthday's my, my middle name my first name is mary oh really yeah i was okay. named after mary because oh my grandmother was extremely catholic like her name has to my first name is mary shannon so yeah catholic grandmother wanted to name me mary 
my dad's yeah. mother wanted to name me Shannon, but my parents named me Dawn because okay. I was born at dawn in the morning. So I just had to have them all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so That's so funny. <laughs> so my middle name is Maria. So I have the like my I was named after my grandmother who was all, who was uh Maria del Carmen. And then I have a bunch of Marias that are in my family. And so part of the reason too that I present as Caroline M. Garcia is not just to represent my Maria, but all of the Marias and the ancestresses which um, I come from. And my mother's name is Mary Luce, um, which means like light of the sea. Mm. So there's, um, it's like the the, Mar the Marias, the Mary Luce, the mothers from which I've come, um, There, that's the spiritual component too, knowing that I was created at this timeline in the, the history of humanity to bring a purpose and a mission into the world that I wouldn't have been able to if all of the women that came before me hadn't taken the courageous decision to procreate and live long enough to procreate and raise the next generation. Um, so there's a lot of gratitude that I pass along back to the ancestresses and the ancestors for creating a path that I could exist um, which me, which gives me that much more juice to give, you know, leave that legacy behind because I realize the trail from which I've come from. So whenever you were going through all, all your transitioning stuff, did you ever struggle with like anxiety, depression, suicide or any, did you ever get that low? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, when I lost my job <clears throat> and I was unemployed for a year, I, I remember I was walking over this bridge when I lived in California and it was like a bridge that passed like a you know the the, the roads uh underneath is like three lanes on each side and there was a fence or yeah there was a fence that was above like the walking rail or whatever so that people wouldn't jump um and so it just kind of the idea just kind of came to mind like wow they have this fence here to prevent people from either falling or jumping into the highway below and I just had this like wisp of a thought that said why am I even here like does it even matter I'm not I'm not working people ask me you know you meet new people they always ask you what do you do I'm not doing anything I mean I'm, I'm looking for a job but when you're told that your job is your purpose and you don't have one then you're like well what am I I'm just taking up space and that isn't valuable and that really scared me because, you know, being a psychology major, I knew about suicidal ideation and suicide and all of that. I'd been to therapy um, a few times before then. And um, it was scary to, to have that thought that I might not be valuable because I wasn't working. And I'm just like so proud of that version of myself that discarded that thought and decided to like step into people that supported me and reminded me of the inherent value that I had in just existing. Um, that was probably the lowest that I've ever been. And I don't know that I'll ever get that low because that, that was rock bottom. Um, and certainly over the years I've struggled with worry and anxiety and, you know, trying to, my mom always said like, you're always trying to live in the future. You're not here right now because I wasn't present. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, as, as someone who has as educated as me in, in psychology, I've experienced human humanity, you know, especially in the pandemic. Um, I was quarantining by myself. I wasn't traveling because of the pandemic. And so that was my that became my next purpose was traveling. And then when I didn't have that, then a transition to learning and being. 
Um, and then, so then reading took up the space that traveling used to take. And that's why I was so tethered to it, to read, like looking back at it, the tenacity to read that much for an entire year. And even not even a year three, because I read 44 books in 2020, 135 in 2021 and 72 books last year. The tenacity to read that much for three years straight. I'm so impressed with that mm-hmm. yes, me too. <laughs> because that <laughs> that was that was pretty gnarly uh persistence there um I forgot to close the the oh yeah so you're talking about like mental wellness and stuff so yeah I, I definitely struggle with that which is why I understand what it's like to go from your lowest to climb to your peak mm-hmm. I've been on that mountain I know what it's like I know what it's like to fall off I know when the signs come up um and so what it's done what it's what it's made for me now is I have such robust practices. When I talk about self-adoration, I'm talking about elevated self-love and self-care, showing up in love for yourself every single day in multiple ways. Um, even like your environment is one of the ways that you adore yourself by making sure your space is clean and tidy and conducive to the thing that you are wanting to have. So this space you see in the background, it's very colorful. There's a lot of things here that remind me of places I've been to, places I want to go to, people I've been, gifts that people have given me um, that inspire me to always like keep, just keep going. Um, And so I have such a robust practice now that when I'm feeling low, I know how to let off the gas and say, okay. I'm feeling the tinges of depression, anxiety, or worry. Where am I right now? Am I present? Am I here right now? Or am I in some scenario that hasn't happened or already did? And oftentimes that's what it is. I am problem solving for something that hasn't happened and I'm worried about it. And then I, what I kind of tell myself um, is I look at a situation and I'm like, is that my problem today or is that tomorrow's problem? And if it's not my problem today, either because it can't be fixed today or I can't do anything about it, or the store I have to go to isn't open or whatever it is, then I just like, don't worry about it. And tomorrow I trust that I will figure it out. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. allowed me to be also very, to just prioritize my um, lifing um, of what can I control within this day? Cause that's all, that's all you ever have is today. Tomorrow, by the time tomorrow hits, it will be today and so forth. It's a lot of giving yourself grace. Yes. I recently, I think it was like last week, I was super tired from traveling and I was self-sabotaging. Oh, you're not good at this. No, I was, I was going there deeply and went, whoa, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. Evaluate your tired. Just blame it on your tired. See how you feel tomorrow about this subject. And, and sure enough, as soon as I got rest, all of those thoughts were gone. So a yeah. lot of times it's just exhaustion and, you know, taking care of yourself in the right way and doing the things that you need to do. I mean, I've been talking a lot about it lately. If you need a massage or if you need to go to gentle yoga instead of a hot yoga or what, you know, whatever that is really evaluating your energy body and making that choice because it, it impacts your mind. Right. Right. There was two things I wanted to end with. If there's time, um, Share what your daily routine is. My daily routine? Mm-hmm. Um, it shifts a lot. Uh, right now I'm experimenting with having a blend of structure and flow. 
So I haven't, I've been setting an alarm that's late enough that I might wake up before it to see what my natural waking up rhythm is. Mm. Um, because the whole waking up at the same time every morning, I don't like to start my morning on a schedule. It, it's it's very military-like for my, for my, my soul. <clears throat> so um, I wake up around 7.30 or 8. Um, I meditate for 10 to 15 minutes. I use Insight Timer and um, oftentimes listen to something that will put me in whatever I feel like I need to, to be very powerful in that day or the rest of the week. So oftentimes I listen to um, meditations that have affirmations. I do tend to focus more towards women because I want more women messages going through my mind. Um, so I'll do that. I get up. I always make my bed, open the blinds, brush my teeth. That's kind of like the getting, taking care of myself routine, putting on my workout clothes. Um, I have a puppy who's seven months old. So I wake him up. Um, his morning routine is I give him a massage every morning. Mm -hmm. So before we go out for our walk, I give him a massage and just touch him and kiss him and play with him. Um, and he like eats it up because he loves to be touched. And then we go for a walk, 25, 30 minute walk. Um, depending on what my day is looking like, I will also take an additional one hour walk, no phone, no music, just me. Um, rain or shine. I've worked, I've, I've walked in the snow, in a blizzard, in a thunderstorm. Like I don't necessarily recommend it, but I'm very committed. It's a non-negotiable for you. <laughs> yeah, it is because it's my connection to myself, nature. It's my exercise. Um, I stay pretty fit through doing that. Um, and then depending on the day I will adjust. So on the days that I have a lot of conversations because I am um, more introverted and extroverted, then I will take things off my list. I will do more quiet time, more uh, breaks in between conversations. I will make my weekends less hectic. Um, so I sort of like Tetris my weekends and my weeks depending on what I have so that I'm not ending the week like exhausted. Um, I usually journal three to five times a week. Uh, I have a planner that I only have eight things that I can put down as a task so that I'm not overburdening myself with things that I have to do. Um, and I take a lot of breaks. I take naps. Um, I do Oracle cards whenever I feel like I need an extra push of something. I take yoga classes two times a week or so. Um, and then I've been forcing myself to watch TV, which is a little a little counterintuitive, but forcing myself to watch TV. So I'm not working or reading or doing something and just enjoying something that somebody else created. Um, I really try to sleep seven to nine hours of, of, uh, a night because I love sleeping. And my dreams are also a portal through which I get answers and solutions. Um, so I kind of try to take everything that I can from life to guide me towards whatever the next thing is and create each day so that it's balanced because if you want to balance life then you have to start with each day not your life each day and then over time each day will sum up to a week which will be a month and then your life will be in a state of balance but I always take stock of my day and say okay I got three calls today or I'm coaching two clients today I'm not doing anything after that's done I'm only going to journal and I'm going to go for a walk um, but trying to just balance it out every day so that you're not you you manage your burnout every day, not like overwhelmingly your life. 
And that eventually starts giving you the habits that when something happens, you can pull in a habit and say, you know what I need is any comfort food. I'm going to go take a yin yoga class. I'm going to go to sleep. I am going to drink water. So the more that you add to your toolkit, the more is accessible to you whenever life does get stressful. Um, life will be stressful, but you don't have to see it as such. Yes. Okay. Do you have time to share about your ebook? Yeah. So I created an ebook that is um, calling it Queen Affirmations. And what it is, is it takes this wheel of life, which is all the different parts of your, your life, and it gives you possibilities for what your life could look like across these different realms. The idea being that, as I said, mindset is one of the important parts of changing your life. When you expand what's possible for you across these arenas, it gives you a sense of where are you right now and what else could be happening. Um, so the idea behind the affirmations is you go through the, the ebook and choose the ones that most resonate with you, one or two, and then you say them and you say them and you say them again and you say them again and you keep saying them until you start changing your mind about what's possible. And then once you have that, then you can take action towards something that's different by taking different actions. Um, affirmations for me have been incredibly helpful. That's what kind of books were for me. Um, and it's also very powerful if you take those affirmations and you say them in front of the mirror, because then you're talking to yourself and seeing yourself as you're receiving and hearing the message at the same time. I'm very big in affirmations as well. So, okay. To end this, I would love for you to share with everyone where we can find you, how we can connect with you. Yeah. So a few different ways you can find me on LinkedIn, Caroline M. Garcia, PhD. I'm also on Instagram, Caroline M. Garcia. And um, you can also visit my website, which is work in progress right now. Dr. Beautiful. Caroline. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, wow. um, Dr. Caroline M. Garcia, everything's kind of branded with that. And what I'm offering right now is um, I'm doing speaking with inclusive organizations that are targeting towards mindset, leadership, and um, women empowerment. And I am also coaching. So I am coaching ambitious women on three-month programs. Um, and I offer discovery calls to see, like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Am I the right fit? I am not going to coach everyone. Not everyone should be your coach. Um, I think it's very important to have that vibe and energy with the person that you're going to connect with because they're going to be a big part of your expansion and you want to make sure that you actually like them and trust them to be there with you in that. And so ultimately, my purpose is to help women become more joyful in their lives um, and really tap into that queen and leadership component of themselves that will help them create the most expansive, joyful, majestic lives that they imagine. I love it. This was such a great conversation. Can't wait to talk yes. to you more. So. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for these questions. It's been so uh, great to just explore some of these different aspects in different ways. And I appreciate you making space for my story and what I have to offer. Oh, you're so welcome. All right, great. Okay, thank you so much, Dawn. I'll talk to you soon. I